Welcome to the podcast of New Covenant Church in Albuquerque, where we focus on the Bible, faith, and life issues. We hope this podcast will be helpful to you on your faith journey. Now, here's our message. So it is that time of year you're going to have friends, family members, church family members in your house, but have you all ever had those visitors show up that you had no idea they were coming? completely unexpected, and you're going, who are they, and what are they doing in our house? I wonder, did Mary and Joseph feel that way when the Magi showed up? Um, Let me begin to clear up some of the things about the Magi. There weren't three. They brought three different gifts, uh, but there were definitely more than three. In fact, what we know of the Magi historically, there might have been up to a thousand, believe it or not, on white steeds coming into town. I'll explain more Uh, in just a minute. But today we're about to take a look at a group of people that should have never been showing up to worship Jesus. The other thing we know is that our manger scenes got it wrong. They weren't at the manger. Um, At this point in time, Mary and Joseph were in a house with the baby Jesus. So at least a few months have passed, probably not quite up to two years. Again, I'll fill you all in as to why we know that is the case. But the Magi should not have been a group of people that would have shown up to worship Jesus. And you will recognize that once you find out who these magi, in the Greek they're called magoi, which is where we get the word magic or magician from. Um, I'll give you all kinds of fill-in as to what the magi are like, who they were, and why they should have never shown up at a house uh, to worship the baby Jesus as Lord and King. So if you've got your Bibles and you'd go to Matthew chapter 2, we're going to be taking a look at those 12 verses this morning, and then we'll be finishing off. Matthew 2 next week when we take a look at a really fun guy by the name of Herod. So uh, we're going to have a blast in the next couple weeks going through Matthew chapter 2, but if for right now you grab your Bibles, go to Matthew chapter 2. We are verses 1 through 12. I know how much you love standing up and sitting down and standing back up again, but would you stand with me as we read Matthew chapter 2? Uh, verses 1 through 12, and as you're about to see, we're going to have a bunch of guys that are worshiping Jesus, uh, bowing down at his feet together as brothers and sisters. We just stand before the king uh, while we read his word. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled, and all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and the scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. They told him, In Bethlehem of Judea. For so it is written by the prophet, In you, O Bethlehem, in the land of Judah, are by no means least among the rulers of Judah. For from you shall come a ruler who will shepherd my people Israel. Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly, and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you have found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshiped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. 
and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Thank you, gang. So we're going to take some time to break down this passage together as brothers and sisters in Christ. Before we go any further, though, let's do a little bit of digging and figure out why in the world these men who were astronomers, really astrologers, magicians, they came from an occultic family background. Um, They actually practiced what we would call like black magic or um, dark arts. They come from 900 miles away to worship the Lord Jesus. That's who these guys are. Uh, From what we know from the book of Daniel, they were around in 605 BC and before. In fact, their lineage may trace all the way back to the time of Abram in the land of Ur of the Chaldeans. Uh, We know that they continued through the Medo-Persian Empire. We know that they continued through the Greek Empire. And we know that they were still in existence all the way up to the Roman Empire. So about 600 years later. Now what's going to be really cool is you're going to see how God planned at least 600 years in advance for magi, for astrologers, for people that were part of an occultic family background, a pagan family background, to show up and worship Jesus. He planned all of this 600 years before it happened. If you're wondering how God went about doing it, let me just ask you to rewind in your minds to 605 BC. There's a young man by the name of Daniel. He's got three buddies by the name of Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael. You may know them by some different names. We'll get into that in just a moment. But in 605 BC, the Israelites, the land of Israel is about to be punished for their idolatry and their immorality. In fact, God raises up a group called the Babylonians. There's a king by the guy by the name of Nebuchadnezzar. They ransack Jerusalem. They take these young men, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, or Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and Daniel. They chain them up along with thousands of other Jews, and they march them 900 miles across the desert from Jerusalem back to Uh, their land in Babylon. And when they get them there, they take a 14-year-old. Daniel's about 14 from what we know of. His three buddies are about 14 from what we know of. And they put them through this three-year indoctrination where they indoctrinate them in Chaldean literature, Chaldean wisdom, Chaldean religion, and then they change their names. They try to strip them of everything that they know. The problem is God has been planted deep within the hearts of Daniel, Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael, and they refuse to relent in their walk with the Lord. They refuse to relent in their belief in Yahweh and in the coming Messiah who is going to be known as Yehoshua. And because of the fact that Daniel remains true to God, God gives Daniel these supernatural abilities or these supernatural powers to not only interpret the king's dream, but even tell the king what he dreamt. And then the king looks at Daniel and goes, there is something very different about you. And then Daniel proves it, not just in his words, but how he faithfully serves the king, how he faithfully stays true to Yahweh, to the true God of the universe. And within three years, by the age of 17, Daniel is made the chief prefect of all of the wise men, of all of those astrologers. In fact, Daniel chapter 2, verse 48 says this, Then the king gave Daniel high honors and many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon 
and chief prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. Remember, the wise men were astrologers. They're charting the stars. They're looking at the stars. They worship them as gods. Then Daniel comes along and says, stop worshiping the stars and start worshiping the maker of the stars. I want to introduce you to him. So even in this dark period in Israel's history, they're in bondage because they're, they're living sexually immoral lifestyles. They're living idolatrous lifestyles where they're worshiping all these false gods. You've got Daniel and at least three buddies that have said, I don't care what everybody around me is doing, I'm going to worship the Lord for who he is. Let me encourage you, gang, I don't care what everybody in the world around us is doing, let's worship Jesus for who he is. He's worth it. New Covenant, you're a remnant. There's not a lot of people out there that are worshiping Jesus for who he is. And let me be extremely clear on what I mean. I'm not just talking about people that call themselves Christians. I'm talking about people that are in love with Jesus. People that are saying, no matter what happens, I'm going to raise my kids to love the Lord Jesus. No matter what happens, my wife and I are going to walk with the Lord Jesus. I don't care what direction denominations go or societies go or governments go or the world goes. I'm going to worship Jesus. And that's what Daniel said. And that's what Hananiah, Azariah, and Mishael said. We know the most about Daniel. We know that he had a profound impact on the Magi. How do we know that Daniel had a profound impact on the Magi? Well, 600 years later, they show up to worship Jesus. He must have done something to stand for the Lord throughout his life, and it must have radically impacted the wise men. While he was spending time with the wise men, undoubtedly he probably shared some of the prophecies that spoke of the coming Messiah. The very first being found in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, it tells us that a Savior is coming who's going to defeat Satan. He probably shared this passage with him. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. I have no doubt that Daniel would have shared from the scroll of Isaiah chapter 7, this tells us that a Savior would be born of a virgin. It says, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son. I have no doubt that Daniel looked at those wise men and said, not only will the virgin bear a son, but that son is actually going to be God in flesh. It goes on in Isaiah seven fourteen to say, behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. Emmanuel means what? God with us. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, another passage that he undoubtedly would have shared with the wise men. This says, for us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and he shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. One more that I have no doubt he would have shared, he would have looked at the other wise men and said, hey, the prophet Micah even told us where this virgin-born God-in-flesh son would be born at. What specific location? Micah chapter 5, verse 2 tells us, But you, O Bethlehem Ephratah, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth for me one who is to be ruler in Israel, whose coming forth is from old, from ancient of days. That's just to name a few of the many different prophecies that Daniel would have undoubtedly shared with the wise men. Now this brings us to a couple of things that I want to share with you all that are lessons from a teenager, lessons from a 17-year-old, and then not only lessons from a 17-year-old, but lessons from magi, lessons from occultic, pagan astrologers. Some great things for us to learn. 
By the way, if those two don't give you great hope for what God can do through you, I don't know what else will. Again, think about how often we look at teenagers and go, what is God ever going to do with a teenager? Let me encourage you, after about a dozen years in youth ministry, I have seen the Lord do some amazing things through teens. I have seen whole families come to know Christ through teens. I know that our world has been radically impacted through teens. Again, four of them we just talked about this morning. Let me take you back, if you would, to Matthew chapter 2, beginning in verse 1, as we take a look at the first of a couple of lessons that some teens and some magi teach us. Chapter 2, verse 1 says, Now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem. One of the first things that I want us to note about these magi, these so-called wise men, is that God often works through the very unexpected people of the world. And he does it to change history. And not only change history, but he does it to change eternities. Remember, why are the magi there? Why do the magi show up to worship Jesus? Because of the faithfulness of one teenager. What could your faithfulness do in Albuquerque? Please don't underestimate what your faithfulness in Jesus can do in Albuquerque. And I'm not talking about because of who you are. I'm not talking about because of the amount of your faith. I'm talking about because of the object of who your faith is in. When your object of faith is the Lord Jesus, what could happen? Well, the impossible. Impossible things happen when our faith is in the right object. So let me ask you, what does God want to do with you this Advent season? Forget about just the Advent season. What does God want to do with you from now until the time you take your last breath? We might not make it home today. It's just a fact of a matter, right? We know that our days are numbered. We just don't know what that number is. We might not have tomorrow. We will study this when we get into the book of Revelation, but maybe we'll get raptured out of here. That's what I'm praying for. I don't want to die. I'm such a baby. So I'm praying for rapture before my death comes. But one way or another... You and I will stand face to face with the Lord. It will, it will be that he either calls us home via the rapture or he calls us home via death. And regardless of how the Lord calls us home, regardless of how the Lord calls me home, I want to be able to stand before him and, and have him say, well done, good and faithful servant. I have no doubt that when the Magi breathed their last, because of their faith in Christ, despite their family background, they had the Savior looking at them saying, well done good and faithful servant. Well, there's another thing that we learn from the Magi. It's in verse 2. They said this, Where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose, and we have come to worship him. There is a lot loaded in that statement. Please don't forget that Herod was the one who had the title king of the Jews. We'll unpack that a whole bunch next week, so I'm not going to get too deep into Herod, but Herod inherited the name King of the Jews. So when these magi show up and they ask, where is he who has been born King of the Jews? I don't think Herod liked it too much. In fact, I'll talk more about that in just a moment. But I do want you to know that God's working. He's working through history, and he wants to make sure that he is worshipped today and forever. Again, he started this whole process 600 years before it happened. He made sure that this day was going to happen 600 years before it happened. Well, 
on top of a couple of lessons that we learned from the Magi, as well as from Daniel and his three buddies, there's also a few things that I want us to talk about as a church when it comes to cost and when it comes to reward for following Jesus. I want to start with cost. I don't know if you know this or not, but it's costly to follow Jesus. We may not have experienced much of that yet living in North America, but it is coming. More and more the hostility towards those that love Jesus and worship him and worship him alone, it's coming. More and more it's becoming dangerous to follow Jesus, it's coming. And that's okay. You know, one thing that I have noticed when it comes to the church is that oftentimes when we're in times of prosperity, we tend to forget the Lord. In fact, again, that is something we'll talk a lot about when we get to the seven churches in the book of Revelation, but there was one church in particular that financially was prospering quite well, and yet Jesus says to them, yet you've forgotten me. You have forgotten your first love. Prosperity sometimes causes us to forget. But it's amazing how trial and persecution oftentimes drives us to our knees. And then the church begins to grow. Well, I want to take you back to verse 1. And I want to take a look at verses 1 through 4. And then we're going to skip down to verse 12. And we're going to take a look at the first cost of following Jesus. It says, now after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, in the days of Herod the king, behold, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem, saying, where is he who has been born king of the Jews? For we saw his star when it rose and have come to worship him. When Herod the king heard this, he was troubled in all Jerusalem with him. And assembling all the chief priests and scribes of the people, he inquired of them where the Christ was to be born. And then they go and they worship him, and that gets them in a lot of trouble So an angel shows up and says this in verse 12, being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. When it comes to cost, we might have to risk everything to follow Jesus. Remember, these wise men traversed 900 miles across the desert to go find Jesus. 600 years prior to that, the Israelites had been ransacked and drugged 900 miles the opposite direction, away from Israel into a pagan land to go worship a false god. Now you got the same people whose ancestors did the ransacking traversing 900 miles the opposite direction to go worship Jesus. Isn't that amazing how God works all that out? The very people that came to destroy the Messiah, to destroy the Messiah's family line, show up to worship the Messiah. Remember, Satan wants the death of the Messiah. Again, I don't want to get too far ahead of myself, but we're going to take a look at this in the book of Revelation, that that dragon, the one who's known as Satan, is going to show up and try to devour Israel's chosen child, the Messiah who is supposed to lead us out of sin and into the real promised land, lead us all the way to heaven. Satan has been trying to kill him for a long time. He's worked really hard at it. And now the very people that were supposed to try to wreck the Messiah's family line go 900 miles to go worship him. Isn't that neat how God works? Well, then on top of that, look at verses 7 through 11. They get there, and it says, Then Herod summoned the wise men secretly and ascertained from them what time the star had appeared. 
And he sent them to Bethlehem, saying, Go and search diligently for the child, and when you found him, bring me word that I too may come and worship him. Now again, we'll get further into this. That's the command that they're given. You don't break the command of the king or he will kill you. If you don't think Herod would kill you, you need to know some things about Herod. First of all, he killed his mother-in-law because he saw her as a threat. He killed his own wife, which drove him insane because he saw her as a threat. Then he had two of his own sons from his own loins strangled to death because he saw them as a threat. That's just four of hundreds of people that Herod had killed, all because he was an egotistical maniac. And the wise men go, don't care. We've got somebody far greater to worship, a far greater king. Listen to verse 9. After listening to the king, they went on their way, and behold, the star that they had seen when it rose went before them until it came to rest over the place where the child was, When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and worshipped him. Then opening their treasures, they offered him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. They show up, and this is where we think that there's three of them. Again, they weren't kings. They were the ones who decided who the kings were going to be. That's how powerful they came through their magic arts. These kings saw something in them that they thought was divine, so they made them and appointed them to positions where they would actually be the ones who would decide whether or not somebody could be a king in Babylon or in Medo-Persia or all the way down to the time of the Romans. Well, these guys show up, and again, the the scholars estimate that there may have been up to a thousand of them coming into town. Imagine a thousand unexpected guests showing up on horseback to come and worship your child it's Christmas. I don't have time for this. I'm baking. I'm cleaning the house, and I'm trying to take care of all the relatives that I really don't want in my home right now, but they're here anyways. If my family's listening to this, I love you. You can still come to our house. But they show up, and they offer three different types of gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. Now, I don't want to take this too far, but there are significance to those gifts. There is meaning to those gifts. The first thing it says they brought was gold. Gold was typically a gift that was laid down at the feet of a king. They recognized Jesus as their king. It didn't Herod. Herod's not my king. Jesus is my king. Then they laid down frankincense before him. Frankincense was something that would have been laid down and burned at the altar of a god. They recognized Jesus as God in flesh. Now those two gifts alone get them in a lot of trouble. Herod isn't too happy that another king is being worshipped. The Jews aren't too happy that somebody else is claiming to be God, this being Jesus. But then they also lay down before him myrrh. And myrrh was what they would use to anoint somebody that had died, especially somebody that had died for a cause or a cause of the people, if they were a martyr. So they recognized three things about Jesus. He is the king, he is God, and he is the king and God who will die for us. And we are willing to even die for him. So you got these magi, the ones that used to worship all of these false deities, all these false gods in Babylon, showing up, bowing down at the feet of baby Jesus. We don't know. We're going to guess that he's about a year at this point. And they lay down before him three gifts that tell the world, this is my king, this is my God, this is my savior. 
there are a couple of things to note about the gifts. Not only the significance of them, but the cost of them. This would have been months worth of wages that they're laying down at the feet of Jesus. We don't like to talk about money much in the church. In fact, there's two things that I've often heard that I'm not supposed to talk about as a pastor. Because they are two things that will make people squirm and make people upset. One is money, the other is sex. Do you know what two things Jesus talks about just about more than anything else in the Bible if you want to know how you're doing in your walk with the Lord? Your sex life and money. Those are the two things that Jesus talks about just about more than anything else in all of the scriptures. So I just find it interesting that we think we're not supposed to talk about the two things that Jesus brings up just about more than anything else. I want to make sure that we're aware of something. Number one, when it comes to our sex lives, God is not anti-sex whatsoever. In fact, he created us as sexual beings. It's just that he created us as sexual beings to have sex both recreationally and procreationally in the context of marriage between one man and one woman that are supposed to say, I do, and stick together until they die or we get raptured. I just became completely politically incorrect. Praise God, because so is Jesus, and he is the one who designed marriage. The other thing that he talks a lot about is our money. What do we do with our money? Sometimes we think we're really not supposed to talk about it and don't talk about giving. Frankly, I would love it if we gave during our worship services so that it didn't become something that was separate from from our time of worship. Because I hope we understand that every time people came together to worship, both in the Old and New Testament, there was always a sacrifice. I bring that up because the Magi showed up to worship Jesus, and they could have very well just paid homage to him with words, but they sacrificed, and they gave back to him. I hope and I pray that we, and when I say we, I'm talking about the Deshaup family, my family, but also our New Covenant church family. When we give back to the Lord, whether it be our time, our talent, or our treasure, we look at that as something that we get to do and not something that we have to do. Think about that for a moment. There are get-tos and then there are have-tos. There are some things in life that we just have to do. I hope that when you serve the Lord here at New Covenant or you serve the Lord out in the community of Albuquerque, when you give back to the Lord via our time of offering, that those are the very things that you do because you get to. Now listen, when we do those things, God blesses us and he doesn't have to. And by the way, I am not talking about a prosperity gospel. I am not telling you that if you go and give a bunch of money, God's going to bless you financially. That may not be the case. You may struggle financially for the rest of your life. That might just be the way it is. But God is going to bless you. Okay, you might be looking at me going, Pastor, you just completely like, gave a paradox or an oxymoron. You just said I might be poor for the rest of my life, but God is going to bless me. Please understand that the greatest blessings that you're ever going to receive can't be taken away. Your money could be gone today. Your house could be gone today. Ask me and my family. We're born and raised in San Diego. It seems like houses burn down all the time. We just pretty much banked on the fact that at the end of summer into fall, something was going to burn down in our community. That's just the way it went. 
We lost most of our house a couple of times. In fact, both the years our girls were born, we had good portions of our house burned down. The moral of the story was stop having kids if you don't want your house to burn down. So we stopped it too because we couldn't take it anymore. But that being said, when you are walking with the Lord and, and you are giving back to him all that you've got like the wise men did, the promise that we get from Scripture is that God is going to bless you, but not necessarily with finances, maybe not even with health, but instead with Christ-likeness, with joy unspeakable. In fact, that leads us to the third thing. The Magi were willing to sacrifice, and yet what did they walk away with? Well, look at verse 10. When they saw the star, they rejoiced exceedingly with great joy. Joy cannot be taken away, ever. And going into the house, they saw the child with Mary, his mother, and they fell down and they worshipped him. That's why their joy couldn't be taken away, because their joy was found in what? Jesus, the one thing that cannot be taken away. Your money, gone. Your health, it could be gone today. It's amazing how fast our bodies can turn. Those relationships that we have with people that we love could be gone in a heartbeat. But yet, Jesus, he's not going anywhere. I love what the author of Hebrews tells us. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever. That's why he could say, never will I leave you, never will I forsake you. So they're rejoicing, they're excited, and they open up their treasures and they offer him gifts of gold and frankincense and myrrh and being warned in a dream not to return to Herod, they departed to their own country by another way. Here is the promise that we get. Yes, the cost is big. It might cost us everything to worship Jesus. We might have to risk everything to worship Jesus, but you will receive joy unspeakable when you arrive at home. I hope and pray that we grasp this. This is not your home. It doesn't matter how good things get here or how bad things get here. This is not your home. This is not the final destination. We are just passing through. We are on a journey. We are on a race. But the good news is Jesus never leaves us while on this journey. He never leaves us while on this race. And he gives us each other in the process as well. So if you begin to get bogged down, don't forget that this is not your home. This is not where you belong. This is not where you are staying. In fact, I would ask you, if you would, would you take your Bibles and put a star by this somewhere, maybe jot it down in your notes, but Hebrews chapter 11 verses 8 through 16. You want to speak of joy unspeakable. We're going to take a look at a bunch of people that did not have an easy life. In fact, many of them were beaten for their faith. They were tortured for their faith, and eventually they were murdered for their faith. They had to leave their homes behind. They had to leave their lands behind. They had to leave their families behind. They had to leave all their money behind, and this is what happened as a result. Listen to this. Hebrews chapter 11, beginning in verse 8, by faith Abraham obeyed when he was called to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man, and him as good as dead, 
were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of that land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. God says, you don't have to follow me. You could turn around and go back right now if you want. Just be careful of what you're going back to. It'll never satisfy. However, I've got a land waiting for you. I can't wait. I can't wait to get there. This is why I am fired up about the book of Revelation. I can't wait until you see the land that you're going to get to inherit. I can't wait until you see that street of gold and those gates made of pearl. When you get to see those foundation stones with the names of the 12 apostles engraved in them. It's going to be amazing. But guess what? That's not what's going to make heaven heaven. It's not even going to be the river of, of, of life. It's not going to be the tree of life. None of those are going to make heaven heaven. The angels, the cherubim, and the seraphim that we're going to see before the Lord, all the people that we're going to recognize that we haven't even met before, none of that is what's going to make heaven heaven. You know what is? Just wait till we get to the book of Revelation. Because the book of Revelation, the word revelation, apocalypsis, literally means unveiling. And we are going to have unveiled before us for the first time the full majesty and glory and power of Jesus. That's what's going to make heaven heaven. Oh man, I can't wait to get there. I can't wait for Revelation because it's going to give us a taste of what it's going to be like before we get there. You and I are going to get to receive joy unspeakable. Let me wrap this up. From the faces of the Magi. Remember, we're talking about the faces of Christmas this Advent season. From the faces of the Magi, what do we know? Well, we know that God wants to change history and he wants to change destinies through very unexpected people. We know that he's working through history itself. He spent 600 years preparing for that event where they showed up to worship him. He's wanting to use people that are willing to risk everything to follow him. What are you willing to do to get to Jesus? What are you willing to do to get your friends, your family, your neighbors, your coworkers, even your enemies to Jesus? He also makes a promise that he is going to bless those that bow down and worship him as God, as King, and as Savior. Let me ask you a question. Are you ready to worship Jesus as God, as King, as Savior this morning? Next week, we're going to take a look at a nasty, evil, wicked man named Herod. We're also going to take a glimpse back again at the Magi, and then we're also going to take a look at the religious leaders. And all three of them are going to present different ways that you could walk away from here and treat Jesus. I'm not going to tell you what those three ways are because that's next week. But there are some different ways that you could walk away from here and treat Jesus. This week, I'm praying that we act like the Magi. We leave here and we go down and we bow before him and we worship him with costly gifts. Can I pray for us this morning? Lord Jesus, we come before you and we praise you, Lord, for who you are. You are our king. Lord, you are our God and you are our savior. And so, Lord, as our King, as our God, and as our Savior, we worship you this morning. We tell you now that we love you this morning, that we praise you for your goodness. 
We praise you for your majesty. We praise you for your divinity. And Lord, we so look forward to the day that we are going to be with you. We are thankful that this is not our home. We are thankful that regardless of how good things get or how, how bad things get, that Lord, you are in control and you're going to take us all the way home. It may not be by the route that we had planned. We know that the Magi were called home by a different route. But yet, Lord, it is always the best route. And so we look forward to what you're going to do with us. We look forward not only to the upcoming year of 2023, but Lord, we look forward to the rest of this Advent season and what you're going to do. We look forward just to the rest of today and what you're going to do in and through us at New Covenant Church. Lord, we love you. We are so thankful that you use us in spite of ourselves. It's in the mighty name of Jesus that we pray together. Amen. This concludes today's message. We thank you so much for listening. We'd love for you to connect with us. You can do that at our website, nccabq.org. From there, you can submit any questions, feedback, and your prayer requests. nccabq.org is also where you can learn more about New Covenant Church. Subscribe to our podcast and newsletters, browse our online message archive, and even tune in and watch the stream of each weekly message. We hope you'll join us. Have a great week.